Welcome to the Coastline Podcast. We exist as a church to help connect you to God and the people around you, to help you grow in your faith, and to challenge you to go into your community sharing the love of Christ. Three things, connect, grow, go. If you'd like information on what is going on at Coastline, follow us on Instagram and Facebook, or email us at hello at coastlinensb.com. Oh, how's it going, everybody in TV land, if that's what you want to call it. Um, the calm your nerves thing is actually really interesting because the larger the crowd, the easier it is to speak. And right now I'm speaking to almost nobody and into a camera. Um, before we get anywhere, before we do anything, uh, if you have a Bible on you or if you have your phone on you, go ahead and open up your Bible app. And I want you to go to two places. I want you to go to Daniel, where we're talking through chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. And Matthew 15, 1 through 20. We're going to go through a little bit of scripture here. Um, we've got two major stories from the Bible um, that we're going to try to connect together and try to navigate kind of the series that we've been going through. If you've been with us with Coastline for the past two weeks, you know that Brian has been speaking through a series called Stand. And this, this series is really interesting because we, especially as Christians here, we think that it's we have this, not this thing, but we, we know that we have this specific call to stand for our faith. And I don't think we always know what it means to stand for our faith because our faith gets intermingled with a lot of things, with a lot of opinion and a lot of rhetoric and talking points, some things that don't really actually interact with our faith. And we don't know all the time if we're standing for our faith or for somebody else's ideas. So as we talk, we're going to continue uh, in the story of Daniel. Uh, I know that Brian's been through a couple different chapters. The story of Daniel is actually really interesting what happens. Um, and before we go in, I'll give you kind of a little bit of a setup to the story so you know where we are. Where the, when Daniel shows up on the scene, if you didn't know, uh, Daniel is from, the, from Israel, but from the tribe of Judah. Don't get lost. Stay with me for just a minute. So if you know much about Israel, you know that after they came out of Egypt, right? Everyone knows the story of Exodus, at least to some degree, with Moses and parting of the Red Sea. Israel goes into what's called exile three more times after that. And exile means that Israel has its own kingdom, right? They have their own rules that were given to them by God in their own way, with their own traditions of the way that they were living very specifically. And then at one point they were overthrown by another kingdom. So they became a kingdom living inside of another kingdom. And when Daniel's story starts, they were overthrown by Babylon. And then later in the story, as we go, where we're going to go, uh, Babylon is pretty much over Israel and telling them how to, how to live. So Israel's doing its own thing. They get overthrown by Babylon. And halfway through the story of Daniel, Babylon gets overthrown by Persia. Don't get lost. Stay with me. Babylon is overthrown by Persia, so they're in exile a second time because the kingdom that was over their kingdom gets thrown over by another kingdom, and their way of life gets very, very torn apart and gets very hectic and gets very confusing. So we're going to start in Daniel, and we're going to Daniel 1. We're going to read through 1 through 15. If you got your Bibles on you, and if you're curious about the, the, the version I'm reading, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, or it might in your version say NLT. So we're going to read through Daniel. It says this, during the third year, King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So this is what we're talking about, where Babylon comes in and takes over the nation of Israel. It says, The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects of God's temple 
So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his own kingdom. So they get overthrown, and Nebuchadnezzar goes into the temple of God and takes certain artifacts or icons and brings them back to his own treasure house of his own God. Basically, this is the first step of the integration of making the Israelites be like an interwoven part of Babylon. In verse 3, it continues, it says, Then king, the king ordered Ashpenaz, of course, everybody's got really cool, normal English-American names in the Bible, his chief of staff to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. It says this, Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. So not only does he take their iconography, he also goes in and takes their people, very specifically, very intentionally. We'll get into this in just a minute. Stay with me. It says, Train them in the language and the literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, pay attention to these names, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed these men with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Hananiah was called, and you're going to start recognizing some names. Hannah, or excuse me, Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah became Abednego. It says this, but Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I am afraid of the Lord my king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I am afraid the king will have me beheaded. And we're going through a lot of scripture. We've got just a little bit more. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. Daniel said, at the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the foods assigned by the king. So after, the, after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. There was a lot going on there, but let's go ahead and I want to break some of that down because a lot happens. Israel gets overthrown, right, by Babylon. And what they do is immediately they don't allow them to live like Israelites anymore. Their goal is to integrate these two kingdoms and basically erase the identity of Israel and create only Babylonians. Which to us doesn't sound like that, that big of a deal. Have you ever heard of the term? And it's because the same thing happened when Rome was over Israel. The term when in Rome do as the Romans do. When in Babylon, we're going to teach you how to do what we do. Everything that was happening here with Daniel and his friends was the complete integration. So number one, King Nebuchadnezzar goes into the holy temple of the God of the Israelites and he takes the things that represent their God and he puts them in his own kingdom. Number two, he goes in and he takes their young men, right? 
Very specific young men, though. If we go back and understand who he's taken, right? He didn't just take their young men. He took their young men of royal and noble descent. Strong, healthy, good-looking, smart young men. These would be men of influence, right? If these men are influential in the kingdom that they're coming from, once we teach them our ways, these good-looking guys, they're going to be the ones that influence people to come basically to the dark side. The, if these people are leading in Israel, they're also going to lead Israel into being more like Babylon. Number three, they changed their eating traditions. It says that the king wanted them to eat the food and the wine given from the royal kitchen. If you don't know a whole lot about Israel, they have very, very specific dietary guidelines. All of us know, yes, yes, Jews don't eat pork. No, this is a very specific laid out, this is the way we do things. This is a, to change someone's diet is to almost erase their whole identity because the things that were going inside them were very important to them. The things that, that powered them, the things, this is why Daniel doesn't even go, no, I won't take the pork, I'll take the chicken. He says, no, vegetables and water is all I'll eat. The, the fourth thing that happens is this is very important, is that they change their names. They're taking everything from them. They're taking their icons. They're taking their boys, they're taking their diet, they're taking their eating traditions, and they even change their names. Which to us doesn't seem like a big deal, but the same thing happens here with Israel. Names were very important and very specific to the person that they were assigned to, either based on who they were or who they were to become. Everyone was named very specific. Us in America today, we, we're like, yeah, we understand the name thing, right? Because we pass down names. Everyone's got a junior, junior, or a second, or a third after their name because we love to pass down names. Lyle, my son, actually, his name comes from my wife's side of the family, and his middle name, Patrick, is my dad's middle name because we love names and we love to pass them down. I don't really know what the name Lyle even means. I just know it comes from Natalie's side. Uh, Patrick, it's probably Irish, right? But I don't know what it's for. I just know that I'm handing him down this name. This was not the case in Israel. The case in Israel was you were named, and your name had meaning, very specific meaning. So what happens is the names you don't know is Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and everybody knows Daniel. Their names are being changed to the names that you know more so that they were called by through the rest of the book, and we'll get into that next week as well. Hananiah, his name meant this. Check this out. This is what their names were being changed to. Their de the defining part about them was being changed. Hananiah's name meant Yahweh is gracious. What a powerful name. What a great name. Yes, and then it gets changed to the name that you know as Shadrach, which means command of Oku, which was the moon god of the Babylonians. Not only did they take their things, but they changed their name to present them as someone who worships the God that they didn't even believe in. They stripped them of their entire name. Mishael, his name is so powerful. His name means who is what God is. His name is literally who is like our God. And they changed Mishael's name to Meshach, the one that you know. Yeah, these are the boys that went in the fire. Meshach and his name changed from who is like God to who is like Aku the moon god of the Babylonians. His name so intricately changed that they didn't change his whole name, they changed the one part of his name that defined him was by his god and changed it to the Babylonian god. Azariah's name meant Yahweh has helped. And they changed his name to Abednego, which meant servant of Nebo, which Nebo was the Babylonian god of wisdom, which go back into the story that we just read. They trained these boys that they took in the wisdom of the Babylonians. So these boys knew the wisdom of the Babylonians and they even changed their name to prove it. 
and Daniel. Daniel's the interesting one, right? Because later, later on in the book, he's still called Daniel. It's almost like he was like, hey, you could change my food, but you can't touch my name. <laughs> and they told him what his new name was going to be. His name Daniel meant God is my judge. God is my judge. This is literally the tattoo everyone has. Daniel's name is only God can judge me. And they changed his name. Check this out. They changed it completely from this Israelite name to this Babylonian name. His name meant only God can judge me. And they changed his name to Belteshazzar, which meant protect the life of the king. Not the king as in his Lord, his God, not the king of Israel, but the king of the, the people who overthrew him. They completely stripped God out of his name and said, your name is now protect the life of the king. Which is interesting because if we keep going, nobody calls him Belteshazzar except for in parentheses. So he's like, okay, you can change my name, but you can't touch my food. Because as we continue, he, he's only hang up is that he says, I will not be defiled by the thing that I put in my body. You can take my icons. You could take me out of my country. You can change my name, but you can't force me to eat. You can't force me to change everything about me because what's going inside of me literally changes my physiology, and I won't allow that to happen. He says that he will not be defiled by the, by the things that the kingdom that overthrew him did to him. This is really interesting, too, because we don't really see ourselves a lot of times as Christians, as people as the, of the way, we don't really integrate a whole lot, right? I know growing up, it's like it was wrong to go to see a movie, and then it was wrong to see a PG-13 movie, and then it was only wrong to see a rated R movie unless it was about Jesus dying on the cross, right? There was, there was always these little things that were like, we're on the outside of culture. We're not like culture. And the interesting thing that happens is Daniel has all these little things, but he's got one caveat. You can't take my diet. You will not change the things that I allow into my life. I can't, I can't help what you call me. You ever get a nickname before and you're like, please stop calling me that nickname. And that's usually why it sticks is because it frustrates you the most. So he, they changed his name to Belteshazzar, but they, he won't allow them to change his diet, right? So this, this doesn't seem like a big deal to us. We're like, we go on a diet, but of course we have cheat days. Daniel wasn't up for that. Daniel wasn't up for a cheat day. Daniel wasn't up for a full integration and changing his identity to be half Babylonian and half Israelite. Which is really interesting because we do this a lot of times. We say, well, we change our name from Christian to maybe uh, Protestant Evangelical. Or we change our name from Christian to progressive mainline Protestant. We, we, we give in these little things. And, and if you're on either side of that, that is not wrong. But what we've done is that we've allowed even our system here in America to define us by our name, by our culture. We allow certain parts of who we are to get integrated so much and so deeply that we don't even so, it's so enmeshed with our culture at this point that we don't even see the difference between ourselves and the world. There's always gotta be something about your faith because this is what happens a lot of times. What Daniel is saying is like, I am going to allow my faith to tell me how I act in culture. The problem is a lot of times is we allow culture to dictate how we walk in our faith. And the worst integration of all of them is when we use our faith or we use our culture, or we allow our culture, excuse me, we allow our culture to use our faith to justify our culture. 
That's a full integration. That's a full, that's a full not letting go. That's a, that's not a, this happens with us a lot in politics, right? And I'm, this is not a political talk. This is not what I'm going to do. That's not where I'm going. But we allow, we should allow our faith to dictate the way that we vote. We should allow our faith to dictate the way that we move in the world. We should dic- let our faith dictate who gets to speak for us, right? Instead of culture telling our faith what it should do. The worst part about it is that we let the culture, we let our politics, and we let our, we let our uh, conservative values or our progressive values jump into our faith and tell us how to react to our political values. When those two things should be completely separate. Yes, one should educate the other, but you better be careful because the one that you stand for the most should be your faith in Christ. So Daniel, Daniel's not allowing a certain part of him. And, and it's interesting because what ends up happening is that he has this actual like taste and see moment. Let me show you. He doesn't go, okay, yeah, maybe maybe you can sprinkle in some of the stuff that I'm not allowed to have to give my vegetables some flavor. He says, no, these are the things that I'm going to stand on. These are the things I'm going to stand for. He's not necessarily standing against anything, saying like, this is the part of me that you can't change. This is the part of me that will not integrate. This is the part of me that will not assimilate. Uh, there's a second story I want to I wanna talk about with Jesus, of course. And if you open up your Bibles to Matthew 15, 1 through 20, pretty much every time that we talk about Jesus, he's having some interaction with with the local authorities, we'll call them. And the interesting thing about Jesus' time is that he is also an Israelite living under the rule of Rome, but also living under a rule of his Jewish, his Jewish contemporaries that are actually integrating their way with Rome. So this is, this is kind of the opposite of what's happening with Daniel. Daniel is kind of like bucking up against the system and saying like no to Babylon and I will not, I will not cave, right? Jesus is fighting two systems at the same time. Jesus is fighting empire and fighting a religion who is in bed with the empire. So Jesus is coming up against these Sadducees and these Pharisees who are basically their only concern is who's right, who's wrong, who's shamed, who's unshamed. And Jesus walks into this situation in Matthew 15, 1 through 20. If you have your Bibles out, like I said, uh, this is the New Living Translation. It says, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They asked him, this is going to be a little on the nose, why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore the tradition of ceremonial washing of hands before they eat. Jesus replied, Jesus is ready, right? Jesus is always ready. And why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commands of God? For instance, God says, honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. That one sounds a little more intense than ceremonial hand washing. He says this, but you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you for I have vowed to give God what I would have given you. In this way, you say that they don't need to honor their parents. So you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own traditions. 
You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. And this is the exact same thing that's happening to Daniel and his three friends. They're being taught all this Babylonian wisdom. They're coming from a very specific tradition, and they're, they're being taught all this Babylonian wisdom with the hope and the thought that what's going to happen is that they will take the Babylonian traditions and take the traditions of their God and meld them into one, and almost to, in the sake of confusing them and conflating them. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying, is that they teach man-made ideas as if they were commands from God. And that's, don't misunderstand, there's a lot of good man-made ideas out there that probably don't show up in the Bible. Like, a sewer system is probably really smart, and there's not really a whole lot of scripture about building a sewer system. <laughs> there's a lot of things that obviously, but, but when you conflate the two ideas and make them one, this is where Jesus is having a rub against the, the leaders of his faith who are now basically under the state of Rome. It says this, Jesus called to the crowd to come. He said, here, listen. This is important. He says, try to understand. It's not what goes in your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. And that almost seems like he's flipping anything Daniel thinks on its head, but it's not, that's not exactly what's happening. Jesus is trying to tell us that there's a bigger issue here. It's not about what you eat or how you eat or how dirty your hands are when you eat it. It's about what comes out of your mouth that's important. And I'm sure just like anything else, this is one of Jesus' shortest parables of all times. Everyone's like, well, what does that mean? Of course, Jesus speaking in riddles again because that's kind of his MO, right? It says this, and he continues. It says, then the disciples came to him and asked him, do you realize you've offended the Pharisees by what you said? The disciples are more worried about this system given to them by the Pharisees and the traditions given to them by the Pharisees and offending those people than the living God that's standing right in front of them. They're literally looking in the face of God and calling him out going, do you know you just upset humans in their human knowledge? And this is, this is where Jesus goes with it. He says this, Every plant not planted by my heavenly Father will be uprooted, so ignore them. They are blind guides leading the blind. And if one blind person guides another, they will both fall into a ditch. Then Peter, our friend Peter, Pastor Brian's favorite friend Peter, because <laughs> this is, Peter's probably all of us in some way. We're like, no, I wouldn't be Peter. You'd be Peter. You probably just wouldn't say it out loud. He says this, explain to us the parable that says we aren't defiled by what we eat. So literally the shortest parable in the Bible is probably this two-sentence thing that, that Jesus says, and they're still like, okay, what? They still have no idea what he's talking about because he's saying stuff that sounds counter to the traditions that they formed being under Roman rule, not the traditions or the faith that they stand on that their God is bigger than the hands that they did or did not wash. Jesus says this, don't you understand yet? Anything you eat passes through the stomach and goes into the sewer. But the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. 
For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. Jesus is not making a point about washing or not washing your hands. And today, that's, we could easily use that verse and be like, well, Bible said, Jesus said you don't have to wash your hands. I'm not, I'm not using hand sanitizer. Totally missing the point. And I know we're in a very special time right now. Very obviously, we're in a very special time because we're, I'm speaking from the living room of a dear friend instead of on a stage with my family, with the church body. I'm actually really excited because the church body is all here and all across the world and all across America right now, we're all getting together. It's just this, the same feeling I feel on Easter Sunday, not because the church is more packed than usual and the sinners have come out. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, <laughs> it's more because you know that every church next door to you, every church around the country, every church around the world is sitting down and hearing and enjoying and listening and being in the same moment that you're in right now. You're not the only one right now sitting in your living room watching this on a laptop on your Roku. Your whole family is, your whole spiritual family, not just at Coastline and not just the church across the street. I have a saying that says, you're not better or worse than the church across the street. You are the church across the street. The problem is that we, by our traditions that are man-made, a lot of times we separate ourselves. Well, this church is uber progressive. Well, this church is super conservative. It's the church. And you're not getting it right. And they're not getting it right. And I'm not getting it right. But that's not the point. Jesus isn't worried about the minutia of washing of hands and who does what when. Jesus has always been concerned about the heart. The state of the heart. Because he says, what comes out of your mouth defiles you. But he says, what? Where does it start? It starts in your heart. This is where sexual immorality starts. This is where adultery starts. This is where slander starts. And I think he very intentionally uses slander last. Because that is one of our favorite things to do. Is the way we separate ourselves is with talking points, slander, and rhetoric that has nothing to do with the faith that we stand on. Right now... Maybe more than ever, it's almost like that scene in Independence Day where all of a sudden everyone in the United States is like, yeah, rah, rah, rah. We're all feeling the same thing. And dividing over who does what or how much toilet paper someone buys is irrelevant. I really believe that Jesus, his main point here is something is wrong in our heart. Jesus is saying something far more profound but we're more focused on who's doing the right thing, who's doing the wrong thing. Right now, we're more worried about who, who's way too concerned and who's not concerned enough instead of standing on the things that we believe. And the things that we believe, if you're a Christ follower, is that we do everything out of love. We know that love covers a multitude of sins, and that's even our own. That's what we stand for. We stand right in the middle or on the outside of the things that the empire is telling us that we ought to believe in the ways that we ought to react, not just to this, to anything. Pastor Brian nailed it, I believe it was last week, when he talked about the things that we saved from behind a keyboard. And I love it because he said, shut up, and then he apologized for it. But 
I really believe that sometimes you're just, we, we get on our soapbox and we're like, I'm standing for the Lord and the Lord is saying, sit down. Because more important than what you're saying is what you stand for. More important is, the, is why you're saying it. What's the position of your heart? Is it slander or is it something else? Do you think that the people out there buying all the toilet paper are stupid? Keep it to yourself. Do you think the people out there not reacting enough are stupid? Keep it to yourself. That's not a left move. That's not a right move. That's a Jesus move. Because right now in a time like this, guess what? I don't have a whole lot to worry about. And I know that. I'm in my mid-30s and I'm uh, (laughs) healthy. I'm in my mid-30s and I'm healthy, and I take care of myself, and I've taken the precautions. So my call is not to stand here and tell anybody who's right or wrong. My call, if I'm listening to the heartbeat of Christ, is to take care of those who are most vulnerable, is to check up on those who who need it the most. I read a story just this morning about a, a young lady who was probably in her mid to late 30s, and she, she looked across a parking lot at a grocery store and she saw an older couple and they're sitting in their car and they finally cracked their window open enough to call her over and they handed her a grocery list and a hundred dollar bill and said can you go in for us we're terrified that's not a left move that's not a right move that's Jesus Jesus is calling us especially in this time to walk by our faith, to take care of the outcast, to take care of the alone. Next week, we'll talk a little bit more about this, about why James and Jesus have a lot to say about the widows and the orphans. Why are the people on the outside and the most susceptible? Why are those the ones we're called to help? Right now, great, I'm good. But for the sake of everyone, I'm going to take the precautions, not for myself, but for the people around me. That's why we chose to do church from here today. There's no need to put anybody in danger. Obviously, we do not live in fear, but we also, there's no, there's no point in not living in wisdom as well. Basically, Jesus is saying this. He's saying your unwarranted opinion will defile you but your actions will define you. And as a people of grace, as a people of the cross, as a people of the way, let's be defined by that. Let's be defined by what we stand on for God, for his Holy Spirit, for Jesus Christ. Not be defined by the things that we say, but by the actions that we show. And that's exactly what Daniel does. Daniel didn't tell them that they were stupid for giving him food that he didn't want to eat. Instead, he said, wait, no, watch this. And he lived by his actions. And it said that when they looked at him later, he looked healthier than all the other young men who had succumbed to the thing that the kingdom that had overthrown them were doing. And he didn't walk out going, told ya. He said, put me to the As Christians, we're all being put to a test right now. And maybe we need to backtrack a little bit. 
If you want to get online and laugh at some memes, I don't think that that's a problem. But maybe we need to go on, maybe there might be a, a post you need to delete. There might be an apology because that's going to speak more volumes than what you've said. Take an action. Sometimes the best way to stand is to move. And I ask that today that that's exactly what we do. I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we are in interesting times. But God, we have complete faith in your Holy Spirit. God, your word says that you have not given us a spirit of fear. And I pray that we don't just focus on that part, but on the second, God, that you have given us a spirit of love, of power, and of self-control. I hope we walk in that spirit, God, that love, that power, that self-control. Fear can take a hike because Christians, we walk in love and power and self-control. Holy Spirit, we ask today that you give us that. Lord, that you will call us to stand the way that Jesus stood, God, and to call us to stand the way that Daniel did 600 years before Jesus. God, give us wisdom as we move forward in these coming weeks. God, and just bless the socks off of us. And God, and God give, us, give us wisdom and teach us uh, new ways to help those around us. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. As always, Coastline, know that you are loved and that the best is yet to come.